God is a human word. It just means something we worship. There are gods. People have gods, 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 and gods. And that God in that Bible is telling us the whole time, I am your father. I am one. I'm Elohim. I am. I'm not one of these gods. I'm Jehovah. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the self-existent one, and I want to call you son. You know? And it just washed over me. I was like, man, what an honor. Not to refer to the Father God, Creator God as God, like any other common thing that people worship or whatever it may be, but to call the Creator of the universe, and I say universe, everything we know as cosmos or whatever it is, to call Him Father. It's just amazing. I mean, nobody invites you to do that. You know, you can't even get invited to... to to the president's house if you wanted to, you know, just think. But the creator of the universe has sought you and bought you with the body of his own precious blood. And he's, he's, he's just put it out there. I'm your father today. I've begotten you. You just can't understand that to go around calling him God. That's far away. God is something far away I don't really understand. It's a human word for whatever that is, Right? Father means something. It means I'm kin to. I live in the house with. I share the inheritance of. That's a whole different thing, isn't it? I've been wondering why it bothered me, and it just hit me the other day when I heard that. I was like, wow. I found, you know, I knew it had been bothering me in the spirit when somebody would pray, and they'd say, God, I just pray. You know, but it never really, it never made sense until then. But he's not just some God. Not if you know him. You know, not if you know him. Um. But I'll, those of you here Wednesday, I want to finish something up. I left something out Wednesday. We were, we were in Revelation 17 talking about mystery Babylon the Great, the great harlot. I had to finish a word because I meant to do it, and I just didn't do it Wednesday. And there's one thing about mystery. You know, we talked about it, and it's written there, you know, obviously in Greek, and it says mysterion, mystery. And it obviously means mystery. And you don't have to go there, but it's in Revelation 17, probably about verse 6 or 8, somewhere like that. But um, mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of all, yeah, and abominations of the earth. So this is the source of this whole spirit of harlotry and abomination in the earth. And mysterion is it does mean mystery primarily, but the whole point of this word, and it's so unique because we studied it there and we learned that this has been something that's going on since the beginning. All the way back in Genesis, there's been a spirit on the earth that's trying to set itself over the waters, over the peoples, right? And what's interesting about mystery, when you see it in big capital letters like that, it's the name, it's what God's calling her, Okay? And what he's saying is, mystery in this Greek, you look it up yourself, you'll be amazed, I think, to see it, but, and, and just surprised. The overall intonation there is like a secret society. It's a mysterion is something that exists behind the scenes and only available or only made known to those who are initiated. Only made known to the initiated. So there has been this spirit using men, and we talked about using really the spirit of witchcraft, 
because witchcraft again is a work of the flesh so men were men or women i say men i'm talking about humans work witchcraft right and they do it because they have a desire to exert some kind of authority or influence over others right and, and that's ungodly. Quite honestly, that, that's not of God. God created us all equal, and he wants us to stay in our place. I don't know if you've seen this commercial. There's commercial, and at the end of it, this guy looks at him and goes, hey, stay in your lane, bro. You know, it's kind of crazy. But if you think about it, if you think about it, that's what God really says to every human being. Hey, I made you unique. Now stay in your lane, bro. Don't take from somebody else. Don't take their position. Take yours. Possess what I created you for. Don't be trying to go over here and violate, you know. But every human being, every human being is trying to violate. We're trying to pull from somebody else to get for ourselves in the natural. That's kind of like what we do, right? And we're and if you're born again, if you're living by the Spirit, you're doing less and less of that. He says if you live according to the Spirit, you'll not what fulfill the lustful deeds, right? The deeds of the flesh. And we know that witchcraft is a work of the flesh. In Galatians 5, it tells us. So that's kind of mysterion i wanted to make sure i made it clear that this thing has been there and people have known about it just not the nations and tongues not the oceans only those initiated in the great harlot know it's been the greatest thing perpetrated on the earth used by antichrist used then ultimately by satan to subvert the people and it's been there since at least and we can say probably all the way from the beginning, but at least we know since Nimrod and Babel, the tower, right? If you think about it, it you know, when you really understand that, it didn't even really have to be a physical tower. Everybody's looking for it. You know, you got archaeologists running all around the world. wonder where Babel is, man. What if Babel was spiritual? Most of the things in that book are, ultimately. At least they start out that way and their primary basis is, and then a lot of times they'll manifest in the natural. But Babel was an idea that we will put ourselves above all the other human beings. We'll rule and set ourselves over the other human beings. I want to tell you this. Do you realize Nimrod almost accomplished it? And it was so devastating to the earth that God had to stop it so that creation could continue until the time. And those of you who are here Wednesday night, isn't that something you think about it like that? It was so devastating. They were about to build the tower of confusion, mixture. You know, they were, they were almost there, and they were going to rule over the world. <laughs> and what would it make them? It would make them like gods. That was the point, right? It will make them like gods. And so there's a, there's, 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 a, there's a spirit that rules through men on the earth. And they believe they're like gods. And they believe it's their right to be over others. And, and generations of people have not known this, not seen this. And even when they see bits and pieces of it, they don't believe it. Why? Because it's hidden. It's a mystery. And generally, it's only revealed to those who are initiated in it. It's being perpetrated against good people, all the nations, tribes, and tongues. And it's all right there in Genesis 7, I mean in Revelation 17. It tells you all about it also tells you about her destruction. And we didn't get into that, but she's, she's being judged. She's going to be judged. You know? And it's interesting that God said that this is who's been ruling over the kings of the earth. 
So you ask yourself in the world, and I'm going to end with this. We'll get into today, okay? But you ask yourself, because I know you have if you're a human being. You've looked at the news. You've looked at the things that go on in the world, and you said, how does this? This don't make sense, man. This just doesn't make sense. Oh, and you say, this is just chaos, you know, right? No, it's not. It's just that a very few initiated people are controlling it. And it doesn't make sense because it doesn't make sense to you. <laughs> right? I mean, if you, see, if you see Revelation 17, that's what you're seeing. And when we run up against it, because we don't know it exists, we always say, well, that can't be what it is. I mean, that couldn't be. It's got to be something else, right? And every time you run into it and you say, it almost seems as if, nah. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, sometimes it's like that, isn't it? You say, how could people do this? How could people not care about other people, right? Who are the people that could do this? Babylon. That's who. She has a name. God's named her. Babylon doesn't care. Babylon doesn't live like you. She doesn't think like you. She doesn't love like you. She doesn't respect her neighbor like you. And I'm not talking about like the Christian. I'm just talking like, like a regular person does. She's under the influence of a spirit that wants to put herself over everybody else. And that's everybody. We're all in the same boat if you're not in Babylon. You know? Isn't that something? All right, so we talked about that. and um, But let's talk about today something else. Because Babylon works in the world. She works over the whole world. But there's a, there's a spirit much like her that works in the church because Babylon she's kind of really over the things of the earth right and there's another word for her that you'll see in scripture and you can find it in the end of Matthew 5 I think in 1st Matthew 6 the real word for Babylon is called mammon the way of the world or the commerce or trade of the world if you look at I think it's Ezekiel 28 where you find some imagery or metaphorical talk about Satan and it's he's speaking, I think, to the king of Tyre, but it's it's kind of metaphorical of how Satan works. And he says, uh, "You've corrupted yourself with the greatness of your trade, commerce." And then when you read Revelation 17, you see that she works by trade and commerce. That's her trademark, so to speak. That's how Babylon is perpetrated, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. In other words, they've taken part in this great trade deal to set herself up by money, fame, and power, and whatnot over the peoples of the earth, right? So, but what you have is a spirit somewhat like that that seeks to do it in the church. Now, she's in Revelation 2, but she's in Revelation 2, uh, probably about verse 18 in the church of uh, Theatira, or Thyatira, however you want to say it, Theatira. And if you'll go there, it's Revelation um, just, well, let's go, just go, we'll start at Revelation 2.12 there. Um, well, no, I tell you, that's the wrong, we'll, we'll start at 18. That's where it is. To the angel of the church, and I'm going to say Theatira, Theatira. To the angel of the church of Theatira. Somebody raise your hand if your Bible says angel. Yay. Yep, messenger, right? 
2, 18. Yeah. Revelation 2, 18. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would just ask the question. We've talked about it before. Don't want to make a big deal, but there's people in here sometimes that haven't been in here before. Why would, why would the Lord be telling John to tell an angel something? Wouldn't the Lord just tell an angel something? Why would the Lord say, hey, John, Apostle John, write to the angel. No, he wouldn't do that. He'd say, write to the messengers of. Now, the messengers are the church offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. You see? So he's leaving word to the messengers, the people that bring the message. And there are different types of churches. These churches really existed. But there are also spiritual types of churches that exist today with these same issues. Otherwise, it wouldn't really need to be preserved for us, folks. They could have just sent the letter over to, to Theatira and it'd be done. But the same issues that took place there take place in churches today, in the church today. And the reason you know is at the end, after it speaks specifically to Theotira, at the end it'll always say in every one of these church deals right here, it says, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Right? And that's us too. <laughs> right? That goes all the way up to our day. And by the way, that little snippet every time at the end that broadens it to everybody is how you know it's not just written to them. It tells you exactly what the issue is. If you can't tell what the issue is when you read it, if you just look, it says, it'll always say something like, to everyone who overcomes, and it'll give you the answer to what the problem is. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but it does. So in this case, why don't we go there and look at, let's look at Theotir's problem. Or, or let's look at the Lord's problem with the messengers and the church that's like the Atira. Okay? And so what verse would we find that on? Verse 26. 2.26. And he who overcomes. All right, real quick question. How do you overcome? What does it mean to overcome in the Bible, especially in Revelation? And they shall overcome him. This is out of the Revelation too. This is a quote, and they shall overcome him by, and the word of their testimony, right, and they shall overcome him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb, we just sang a song and we said we apply the blood, right, amen, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, because Romans 10.9 says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ's death has released you, that's the blood, right, and confess with your lips, you shall be saved, so you overcome Satan's death, the world and its system by the word of your testimony and the blood of the Lamb and belief in it. Because none of us are seeing the physical blood of the Lamb right now, right? We're believing in it, right? And because we believe, Apostle Paul said, we believe, therefore we speak. Amen. Good job. We believe, therefore we speak. We don't speak what we don't believe. That doesn't do anything. You'll find Christians that have not studied Scripture and they'll hear somebody preach something that's not really in them. And they'll say, oh, I'm going to get that, man. I'm going to start confessing that. They won't get a thing. Because they're not speaking out of their belief. They're speaking and there's not any belief. You know? The seven sons of Sceva were going to cast the devil out. And they said, in the name of Jesus. Right? The only thing is, they didn't know Jesus. That devil beat them, beat them up till they were bloodied and naked. Sent them out running. He wasn't worried about them. He said, I know those people you're talking about, but I don't know you. And since I don't know you, I'm not worried about you. Because I don't think you know Christ. Yeah. There's a war going on somewhere, isn't there? Amen. 
And we're winning it. Praise God. He who overcomes, and he who overcomes, so he who is born again. That's what we mean by overcoming. We just said it. He who overcomes and keeps my works. There's an issue with the works. There's an issue with the works. He who overcomes and keeps, you notice he says my works, because what does that mean? If Jesus is speaking to the messenger of this church, and by extension to the church, they got their own works. The church has their own works, and they're not doing God's works, right? So, he who overcomes keeps my works till the end. In other words, we have to persevere till the end. That's why we say today is the day of salvation. Not I got saved 12 years ago because I didn't. I'm being saved today by my faithfulness and continuance to the testimony and faith in Jesus Christ, right? I don't get to quit 12 years ago because I believed something once. That's not salvation. That's been preached. And that is a what the Bible calls a damnable heresy that will get people in trouble. But at any rate, this is what we'll see here. To him, I will give power over the nations. And he gives a quote. Jesus says this. And he, he get, he, what he does is quote the, the scripture that gives him power. He says, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. They'll be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. And he said, I will give you power over the nations as I also have received from my father. So what does that mean? All the time I stand up here and I teach to the church that the power Jesus has given, he's given to the church. Well, guess what? There it is literally. Do you see that? (laughs) Just as the father's given me power, I'm going to give it to you. It says it right there. I will give power over the nations as I also have received from my father. Now you say, but it says will. But who's it say will to? Those who overcome. Well, when do you overcome? If overcoming is believing in Christ and confessing unto such, when do you overcome? The day of, the moment you're born again, right? So what he's saying is, when you become born again, the same authority I receive from the Father, I give to you on the earth. Now you don't have authority over God, but you have the authority of Christ to do what Christ wants done on the earth by the word of God, not your own authority. And this is the issue. He's saying, I have works and you have works. But why is he telling them, hey, I'm going to give you authority? All right, let me take you back. When we said a minute ago, we were talking about um, Mystery Babylon. And what does a great harlot want to do? She wants to what? Set herself over many waters. Every nation, tribe, tongue, it says, right? So what does she want to do? She wants to rule. She wants to control. Same thing here with Jezebel. See, he, he says, hey, take it easy and do my works. I'm going to give you authority. But see, what do we know in it? Jezebel's trying to take her own authority. In Theatira, there's a spirit called Jezebel that wants to authorize herself. She don't want to take what God gave her. She wants to become something and rule something. So it's not just in the world in terms of money, power, and people. It's in the church. Right? 
So you go here, if you go on YouTube and stuff like that, you can hear all these teachings and stuff about the spirit of Jezebel in your neighbor and in your husband and in your wife and all that stuff. And I'm going to tell you, Jezebel does exist there. But by and large, that's not an issue for the Christian. So, you know, don't give that a whole lot of heed. If she's coming against you, yeah, just, just tell her what she's doing and call it out. But here's the thing. The real Jezebel that Jesus is worried about is the spirit of Jezebel in the worldwide church because it'll hurt the church. He's not near as concerned about the husband whose wife's a Jezebel or the wife whose husband's a Jezebel or the any of that kind of stuff. Now, it's there. It is truly there. But that's pretty easily dealt with unless you're just a serious Ahab and you're a eunuch. You just kind of set it in its place. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's the truth. That's what Elijah did. If you think about Jezebel, what did he do? He, came, he said, you're going to die. Well, she, got, she said, I'm going to kill you first. But guess what? She ended up dying. He ended up being transfigured and going straight to heaven. Who got the better deal? Yeah, she lost. She got eaten by the dogs. She she was eaten by dogs, and you know they tra- went to go try to bury her, and there wasn't hardly anything left. That's rough, man. That's really cursed. You don't even get buried. That's what God thinks about Jezebel. So remember now, we're about to talk about something that's in the church, and God has no particular respect for it whatsoever. It's not supposed to be there. He abhors it. He detests the spirit of Jezebel. And I want you to see this if you'll turn back with me in Theatira because we don't want to have that here and we don't want to support people that do. Right? To the angel of the church of Theatira, right? These things says the Son of God. So Jesus says them, right? He who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, look at this. This is good. Your recent works are more than the first. Guys, hear what he's saying. This is a great church. Now, I know some of the captions in your Bible, the people that wrote this stuff said, the corrupt church. Let me tell you something. That's a mischaracterization by somebody who really didn't understand, I think, what's going on here. Jesus looks at this church and says, I know your works. I know your love. I know your service. I know your faith. I know your patience. And I know that you even have greater works now than you did when you started. That's a, that's a good church. If you read these churches, very few of them have this going on. And a lot of them have lost their first love or they've gotten lukewarm. This church has got greater works now than the first. Here's the problem. This church didn't stay on track with God and his leadership. And so the works they're doing are not exactly what they're called to. And ultimately, these works lead you to worshiping idols. And these things are introduced into the church through Jezebel. And we want to see this because we need to know. You know, knowledge is power, really. Even Jesus agreed with that. And you shall know the truth. And thus knowing you shall be set free, right? So knowledge is power, and it's freedom for those who have it. Amen. Um, Look at verse 20. Well, I know your works, and they're greater than even your first works. He says, this is important. You're a great church. You've got greater works. You have faith, service, love, power, all these things. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you tolerate or you suffer that woman Jezebel 
who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, I want to make a point here in verse 21. Look at what God says, because it's easy in your mind to think Jezebel's somebody outside the church trying to influence the church, but she's not. She is in that church. She is in this church. She tries to get anywhere she can. She tries to get in anywhere she can. And look, the thing of it is, she's in saved people. Because you know what God says? Jesus says, I gave her time to repent. You don't give somebody that's not saved time to repent, folks. I mean, they have all the time in the world to even just believe. You see, they're not being brought to repentance here. You understand? He's talking about somebody that's in the church. He says, look, I gave them. I gave them time to repent. They wouldn't do it. She wouldn't do it. Right? So a lot of times we come to church and, and, I, and look, I know, we automatically assume everybody that tells us something, is, it's for our good. Everybody that sits down across from us and wants to tell us this or that or the other, it's for our good. I want to tell you something. It's not what the Bible says. You need to be careful. My little bit of experience, a lot of times the one that wants to sit down and tell you something is the one least qualified to do it. That's been my experience. But... um so we look at it and um, have a few things against you. First of all, guys, Jesus has something against the church and especially the messengers to this church because those messengers allow Jezebel. Now, before you judge those messengers, I want you to think about something, if you will. How much do you allow? In your own life, how much do you allow? How much do you allow your in-laws to influence whether or not you go to church? How much do you allow your friends to influence whether or not you pray in tongues, whether you spend time praying, the degree at which you seek and follow Jesus Christ first? How much does your job and the people that your best friends that affect you? See, we allow a lot of things. We tolerate and suffer a lot of things that bring these little idolisms into the church. And we all bring it in with us. Because when you allow it and you bring it in, it comes in with you. <laughs> right? If you think about it, it comes in with you. The old habits we had that God is having us to break and we don't break and we just bring them in and share them with others. That's how idols get worshipped, isn't it? Well, let's look at history. What is Jezebel's history? She was not, she's not of Israel. She's not a believer. Her father was king of the Sidonians. I mean, the original Jezebel. Her dad was, was I think, what? I've forgotten his name, but he was, he was it's interesting when you think about it, because it's like the world is a lot, and you have to watch Jezebel for this reason. One of the biggest problems in Scripture was that everybody who was a leader thought they were also a priest. And God spent a great portion of the Old Testament trying to keep those things divided. Look at Saul. Saul became king, and he was anointed to be king. He prophesied and did all kind of things. But you know what his problem was? He took on the priest position. He thought the priest was running a little late, so he did the sacrifice himself. Lost the kingdom of God because he thought, well, I'm a, I'm a king, so I'm a priest too, right? <laughs> all right. 
Ahab, the king of Israel, married Jezebel. Now, he married somebody outside the Hebrew faith. In other words, she wasn't saved. In, in New Testament terms, she wasn't saved, right? So what that automatically do? It brought her worship into his house. Let this be a word for the Christians, and we tell our young people, don't you date somebody that's not saved, you're not supposed to. Don't marry somebody that's not saved. I know the world and most churches say it's okay. It is not. It will bring you problems. You cannot have a house that is divided and get anything done. You will never have a house that's divided and get anything done. It'll cause you problems in your marriage, your kids, your finances, your life. When you're laying on your deathbed and your wife doesn't believe in healing, you'll die. Because she's one flesh with you. And I have sat for 20-something days at somebody's bedside and prayed that they'd be healed. And every day the wife come in and speak death over them without knowing it. Do not yoke yourself with somebody whose faith is not like yours. Please don't do it. And really, it's a sad thing. In most churches, they could care less. Most parents that are Christian parents could care less. What do they say? Oh, she's from a great family. I can hear it now. She's from a great family, you know, right? They're good people, moral people. They do this. Oh, they're very active in the community, right? You can hear them talking now. I want to know about your faith. I want to know if you're born again. I want to know, is Jesus the king? And I want to know, do you believe in marriage like Jesus believes in marriage? You know what I'm saying? I want to know those things because those are the things that's going to matter when the rubber hits the road, when everything's tough and it looks like divorce or it looks like somebody's going to die or it looks like we're going bankrupt, we're going to lose the house. Are we going to stay in one accord? If you brought Jezebel in, you're going to lose. They have brought her in. It did him in. I'm sure she was very beautiful. <laughs> you know, you think about it. You hear those preachers talking about me and my hot wife. I'm going to tell you what, you better make sure she's a faithful wife. And I'm not talking about to you, I'm talking about to him. Because there's one thing you can be sure of. If she's faithful to him, she'll be faithful to you. And if she's not by accident, she will at least be sorry. And she'll repent. And that's really all you can count on in this world, isn't it? Because nobody's perfect. But if somebody's heart is unto God and they'll repent, you can make it. And you're not going to find perfect people. But you can find people that will repent and submit to God. It's a very beautiful thing. <laughs> I can tell you, just only 10 years pastoring that that's one of the most beautiful things there is. It's not that people don't make mistakes. It's that they realize that God is king and they shouldn't have done it and they submit and they say, I'm sorry, and they mean it. It's real. It changes everything. And life can continue. <laughs> Isn't that great? But you find people that that's not true of. They just don't really care anymore. And generally, when you find somebody that doesn't care anymore, it's because they don't care about what he's saying. It's sad. So anyway, along those lines, he brought in Jezebel. Her dad was a priest and a king, and he was a priest of Baal. Now, Baal means the Lord, but Baal wasn't the Lord we know as the Lord. Baal was the devil, wanting everybody to call him the Lord. Right? So they had a religion based on the Lord. But theirs is different. See, if you're a king, you get to be a priest. 
didn't matter if you really were one. So this is what Jezebel grew up in. See, everybody's a preacher. Everybody's a prophet, right? Especially if you come from a position of power and you already have influence anyway, you get to speak for God too, whether he calls you or not. And this is what Ahab brought into the kingdom. So what she started doing? By the way, you know, it says this woman. And you realize she's a wife. In those days, what that means, she had no authority to do this. She should, when she came into Ahab's house, she should have submitted the way his house run, not brought her own way. Which, I mean, if you see in Genesis, what does it say? Abraham, it says, Adam, I'll give you a help meet. You know what that means? Adam's got the plan, and the wife takes on the plan. I'm not trying to be sexist. That's just exactly what it means. <laughs> I mean, quite honestly, that's exactly what it means, right? So this has been God's plan, and it ain't, I'm going to say it in Southern English, it ain't never changed, <laughs> okay? It ain't never changed. Again, I'm not, I'm not devaluing one or the other. You got to have both. They're both extremely important, and hey, you know, that's the way it is. A lot of times, the help meet's more important, and the help meet can hold up a failing leader, but a failing leader can't make it without a help meet. I mean, it just doesn't work the other way, but I have seen it work where the help meet's so strong that it works. You know, and I've seen that work with a lot of husbands, by the way. Well, the husband's not doing his job. The husband's not leading the family. The husband's not in the faith. But the wife is so strong, she keeps everything together until he can get his stuff together. But it generally won't work the other way. Well, I'm just saying that. It's just been my experience. But, um, so she's a woman. She doesn't have the authority, right? And she's in the church. She's like Jezebel, which means chaste. And I want you to know, when you see Jezebel... She looks perfect. I don't mean beautiful. I mean, she looks perfect. She looks like what she ought to look like. If you, if you study that word, she looks uh, modest, conservative. She looks like she's the wife of only one husband, just like she ought to be. And the people in the church that introduce this stuff look perfect. They look just like church people, just like Jezebel. But you know what the problem is? She's chaste. She only has one husband. The problem they have is you're not the husband. Bails the husband. So she marries you, but she ain't really submitting to you at all. She submitted to Baal, comes in your house, don't pay you any attention, and brings what she's got with her. She's chased, all right, it's just not to you. See, Ahab didn't realize this. She came into his house, she had no regard for Israel, no regard for Israel's God, no regard for him as her husband. She came in, she said, I know who I am, get out of the way. Started signing checks with his name left and right. Had no authority to do it, but he's so weak he didn't stand against it. That's why God says, I, I have this against you, you messengers and you church. You tolerate Jezebel. You allow her. You suffer her to do this stuff without calling her out. I have this against you. You can't be a weak church, folks. A church always supposed to reprove sin, always supposed to reprove misappropriation of authority and everything else. We're not supposed to allow that stuff to be nice. Well, you know, they're in the church. We need to be nice to them. You'll never be nice to Satan. He's already going to take enough as it is. And especially, it's, it's detestable. It's a detestable thing to God for him to give somebody authority and then let somebody else run roughshod over him. Because what's it doing? And we, see, we tend to think in human terms, right? So, well, he's really just being nice. He didn't want to hurt her feelings. Yeah, but think about it. If God set authority, God wants it. That means God's got a purpose in it. That means it does something for him. 
So when we just whitewash it and, and bring it down to the lowest common denominator, well, people are just being nice, you know, they don't mean anything. Yeah, but you're failing God. He can't accomplish what he's trying to accomplish here. And you're allowing it. That means you're the target of his disgust. <laughs> and I think he spelled that out. I have this against you. Now, you want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You don't want to hear, I have this against you. <laughs> right? Isn't that true? I know I do. Yeah. People get mad with you when you tell them this kind of stuff. But it's my job to do it. I want him happy. You know? I just want him happy. Because he's the one supplying my everything anyway. So, you know, um, you should feel that way too if you know him. So, he said, you allow the woman, Jezebel, look at what she says. Look at what he says. She calls herself a prophetess. I can say, hey, that's Jordan. He calls himself a man. What am I saying? He's not really one. I'm not meaning that. I'm just using an example, right? So when God says this Jezebel that's come in with no authority that brought her own stuff instead of taking on the, 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 the order of the house, right, or whatever it is at your house or in the church at large over the earth, whatever it is. Isn't that interesting? So she calls herself a prophetess. Why a prophetess? Why not a teacher? Why not a... Why not a pastor? Why not an evangelist? Prophets, prophetess is kind of interesting because the prophet has this mysterious uh, call and are known for what? The ability to speak on behalf of God. Yeah. So the Lord Jesus is showing us that there's an element or a spirit that operates in people in the church, without authority, unauthorized by him, calling itself a prophetess. In other words, saying, I speak on behalf of God. And he names her Jezebel, which means she has no authority, but she's like the real Jezebel. How did the real Jezebel get her authority? Her closeness with Ahab. She was married to the king, right? So when you find her, She's either, she's getting her authority from somewhere and somebody's allowing it. It's obvious whoever it is, and she's not just a she. I'm just talking about out of scripture now. <laughs> you ain't got nothing to do with that. It's a spirit, right? Male or female doesn't mean anything, right? So, it says she calls herself a prophet. You know, that's what Jesus said. I didn't call her one. Ephesians 4.11 says that, that he himself gave some. That means Jesus. He gave some. He says, but her I didn't give. She's, she says it herself. She speaks it over herself. So she comes bearing her own gifts, <laughs> whether she's male or female, right? And you allow her to teach, to introduce doctrine, to talk, right? And to do what? Seduce my servants. And that means to cause to stray. To seduce means to cause to stray or to lead into error, right? Um, and so what does she teach? Well, she, she teaches the servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, if I asked you when James, the bishop of the church at Jerusalem, 
and Paul and all these people got together and they were going to decide because there had people gone out from the church of Jerusalem and they were teaching people that even the Gentiles had to follow the law, right? To be, to be saved, to be made whole. They had to follow the law. And Paul said, no, you don't. It's grace through Jesus Christ, right? And they had this big meeting in Jerusalem. And do you remember the three things that they said? We were not going to trouble you with any other burden except that you remember the poor. And there were two other things. Abstain from fornication, sexual immorality, <laughs> and abstain from eating food sacrificed to idols. Don't eat the blood. That's what they did. This Jezebel element gets in the church and causes the people to do the very thing, the very thing, the thing that mattered to God the most. Now, I'm not, and, and, and you know, I want to be clear with you. Sexual immorality is definitely in the church. It shouldn't be. But I think overall what you have here is spiritual sexual immorality. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying that'd be pretty obvious <laughs> if you had a bunch of people, you know, cheating on their wives and husbands and different things, right? It'd be pretty obvious. So, but what is God really concerned about that she can introduce? Because if you remember Jezebel, let's talk about it just for a second. She killed God's prophets, the, the real Jezebel. She killed God's prophets. It was, she took it upon herself to kill God's prophets and raise up prophets of her own God, Baal. Which is interesting because they called him the Lord just like Israelites called Jehovah the Lord. So you got to be real careful because it's the same church speak. You know, the Lord. You love the Lord. Oh, yeah, I love the Lord, right? I'm sure Jezebel said, I love the Lord. We worship the Lord where I'm from. Oh, you worship the Lord. Yeah, we love the Lord. We have prophets. Oh, we have prophets too. Isn't this great? <laughs> yeah, it's all this mixture, Babel. <laughs> you got to be careful, right? So, um, to commit sexual immorality is to yield yourself to something that you shouldn't do in the eyes of the Lord, right? And in the Old Testament, it was called joining yourself to Baal. See, that's what Baal worshipers did. They joined themselves to Baal or the Lord, but it's not the Lord we know as the Lord. And that's what she did. She brought her own worship. She brought her own prophets. She, and they, it even says in the Old Testament that the prophets, the prophets of Baal were fed from her table, she paid for them, she hired them, and she killed God's true prophets. She replaced God's true worship and his system of authority and the people that could hear from him, both the priests and the prophets, and she replaced them with her own. Now, she didn't have authority to do any of this, but Ahab let it go on. He allowed it, and he ended up worshiping Baal too. He even built a temple to Baal in Israel. And you know what's funny? When you read it, not a single person other than Elijah stood up against it, the best you can tell. It doesn't even say the other prophets did. I'm sure they didn't agree with it, and some of them got killed, but it doesn't say that they took up arms and went to the people and said, don't do this. Now, it does say there were at least 7,000 people who never bowed their knee to Baal. So quietly in their homes, some of them knew it wasn't right. But we're not told to be quiet here. 
We're told he has something against us because we tolerate it, because we allow it, because we don't call it what it is, right? So we're being told to do more here than be quiet at home and act like it doesn't exist. We're being told to snuff it out. And especially the messengers of the church are being told to snuff it out, right? So look what he says. I want you to see this. He says, I gave her, verse 21. Um, I, also, things sacrificed to idols. Let's just talk about that. The blood, you know, and um, well, I'll come back to that maybe. Let's, let's keep going. And he gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. She didn't, she didn't do it. Verse 22. And this is what God says or Jesus says. I'll cast her onto a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her. So you see, I want you to see he incriminates the people that buy into what she teaches and seduces. It's not like it's all her fault. The believers ought to know better. You hear me now? The believers have a Bible. You got your Bible with you? You got it on your phone or something? God says, you got a Bible, you ought to know. <laughs> really? You don't get out because you say, well, I just didn't even see that. You should have read it. Right? You should have heard some preaching. You should have went to church. You should have heard some teaching. You should have been out there, right, instead of watching TV. God doesn't, that's not an excuse with God. It may work a lot of times on the earth, but it doesn't work with him. So that's what he says. I'll cast her on a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into, what does it say? Ooh. They're going to miss the rapture, folks. The penalty for being in church and being mixed up with Jezebel is you're not raptured out. You're going through the tribulation. And by the way, I've said this before, and we don't really have a teaching on it, but it's true. you got some churches believe that there's a rapture, some that don't. You have some churches believe in a rapture and believe it happens at different times. Let me tell you this. This is why there are so many theories. Because some true Christians are not going to be raptured, and some are. They're all right. In other words, the ones who don't believe in a rapture, for whatever reason, they don't see it, they're not going to be raptured. They're going to go through the tribulation. I, I would submit to you, most of the times when churches have arguments over doctrine and they can't see each other's doctrine, there's a reason. They're not just all wrong. Conversely, a lot of times they're pretty much right. They're just in a condition, and they don't know why. Does that make sense? Because your enlightenment comes with your condition. <laughs> Amen? So if you don't know enough not to follow Jezebel, then guess what? Your enlightened condition is probably that equal to somebody who won't know, which means you wouldn't be raptured. But since you don't know, you wouldn't even believe in a rapture. Now, I'm not saying that's the only way that happens. I'm just putting that out there as a theory for you to understand why there are different beliefs. And that's also the main reason why belief shouldn't divide the church. As long as we all hold to the same belief, Jesus Christ is Savior, and he's the only way to the Father. Does that make sense? We actually should not divide over doctrinal differences. We should come together and pass these things out. Because the division comes from a lack of knowledge. It's not coming because somebody's wrong and somebody's not. Because the Bible's clear that none of us know it all. It says, for we know in part, we see through a glass dimly. And so we know 
that nobody knows everything, and we need each other to get what we're supposed to get. Amen? Amen. Just an example, but all right, so I'm going to cast them into great tribulation unless they repent. And look what he says. I want you to know this. The offspring of Jezebel he's going to kill. Now, not children, not literally. But when she comes in the church and she teaches and seduces, she's introducing a different doctrine. Whoever's born out of that doctrine is going to be destroyed, folks. That doctrine is that they don't get the inheritance along with the real children. You understand that, right? That goes all the way back to Abraham. You might as well throw Ishmael out. He's not going to get an inheritance with the real spiritual children. It doesn't count. (laughs) Right? So this is why it's so important. If people come into a church and it's half Jezebel, half what they believe is not right, they're not getting half what they ought to get. Every bit of the stuff they get from her is going to lead to destruction. There is no gray area. You're either in Christ or you're not. You're either following him or you're not, right? Look at what he says. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Theatira, as many who, who, who what? Do not have this... So what has she done? She's introduced her own false doctrine. I'm going to give you one, and I hope I don't upset anybody. This is one I believe that she's introduced. You ready? It, it doesn't necessarily mean what it's called, but this is what it means. This is it. Once saved, always saved. Now, I don't mean that if you're truly saved, you're not saved. I'm not saying that. But the doctrine as, as used by some denominations means that if you walk down once when you were 12 and said, Jesus, I believe in you, that you can totally not do anything the rest of your life and you have a place in heaven. And that is doctrinally wrong. And what does it say? All the offspring of that will be destroyed. And your biggest denominations in America, second and third largest denominations in America, hold to that. They claw into it with all they have. I'm not calling them bad. I'm just saying, you know. We read a minute ago, you have to continue. You have to, it even says it right here in the end of this chapter, as long as you continue, you know. Well, that's not continuance. If you can have a one-time moment, whether you continue or not, that's not salvation. But there are a lot of things like that taught. We've got to be careful. We're not mad with anybody. We just want people to be saved. God just wants people saved, right? He wants people protected and blessed. He wants his, his covenant to be able to be passed to his people because it's his glory. It looks good. It's who he is, right? If, we, if, we don't, if we're not able to glorify him, you know. So he says, as many as don't have this doctrine and have not known woo, the depths of Satan, the depths of Satan are introduced into the church by the Jezebel spirit, right? I won't put on you any other burden. Now, I want you to remember, I asked you a minute ago, when they had the big meeting, and they decided what part of the law did the Gentiles have to keep? If you remember, it, James and all of them agreed. They said, what we want you to do is this. We want you to remember the poor. Abstain from sexual immorality. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Don't eat the blood. Exactly what we hear here. And this is the last thing he said. You ready? Further than that, we we won't put on you any other burden. 
And it's repeated right here in Revelation. Jesus says to them again, don't do those things we told you not to do. I don't put on you any other burden. 